Hi, my name's Mark Kelly and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Matthew and trying to understand what it really means to live in the Kingdom of God. For more information, other resources and media, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. Search for us on Facebook or catch us on Twitter at cc underscore leads. We look forward to connecting with you. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Let's start from right from the basics. If we're going to interpret the Bible, one of the first and, and basic rules of interpreting the Bible is that we have to uh, understand, appreciate who wrote it and who they wrote it to and what they understood. Am I all muffly? Oh, oh okay. Um, and we have to understand how they understood what they read. That's one of the first basic rules. So I just want to quickly recap what Mark said right at the beginning. Um, we're pretty sure it was, it was Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, who wrote the gospel. If it wasn't Matthew, it was certainly somebody who was a Jewish Christian because of the way he writes. And it was Jews and Jewish Christians that actually read Matthew, or it was intended for them, because there are loads and loads of um, Jewish scripture, Old Testament uh, references in it, and there's knowledge and things that he just takes for granted, that he can take for granted because his readership is, is Jewish, Jewish Christian. So when we read Matthew, we have to bear in mind that the people who read it understood all the scripture references, understood um, the, uh, the, the mindset, the traditions, everything that went with it, because there's one bit where I'm going to refer back to the Old Testament in order for us to better understand what we're reading. In the first week, Mark talked about how Matthew showed that Jesus is our king, and there is this thing throughout the whole of Matthew that he's using loads and loads of scripture references that say, this is what God had always planned. Can you see this? Jesus is the Messiah that the scriptures talk about. When you look through the whole of the Old Testament, they're all about Jesus. And he's pointing this up to us. Jesus is our king. In the second week, Mark talked about the kingdom being in contention. And uh, we read that bit about um, uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and what sort of kingdom was it going to be and he also raised the question did John the Baptist understand fully I mean he, he was there at the side of the Jordan saying this is the guy this is the guy you need to listen to him listen to what he says because I'm baptizing you with water but he's going to baptize you with fire and the spirit and at that point he obviously knew from God that this was the man, this was the Messiah. But towards the end of his life, he's in prison. And Jesus is going around preaching. And we read this. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. And he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Somewhere along the way, John the Baptist got his preconceived ideas about what sort of Messiah Jesus was going to be out of proportion and, and they sort of got in the way and reinterpreted this revelation he'd had from God that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he, it had got a bit muddled somehow and he couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. And sometimes that applies for, to us as well, that we have these preconceived ideas about what God is like, what Jesus is like, and it can get in the way of what Jesus really is like, what God really is like. So, Father, I pray today as we read your word, as we turn to you, that you will sort out our mental spaghetti, that you will help us to have another glimpse, a further revelation of what you're really like. Father, whether you use the words I'm speaking or the scriptures that I'm going to, to read, Father God, we just want you to be glorified. We want you to speak to us so that we can understand more and more of what you're like. Thank you, Father. Amen. So here we are at week three. <clears throat> and my title, oh, it says Connection Lost. <laughs> there we go. Good news. Okay, I'll just, I'll just wave at you, shall I, when I want another slide. Lovely. So here we are at week three. Good news. I love technology. <clears throat> right, so Mark sent me a bunch of scriptures and some notes and stuff. And I want to start by giving you the scriptures that I had because I'm not going to use all of them, although I am going to use quite a lot of them. And I want you to see where I came from, where I got this from. And also, on your own, when you reflect back on this, I want you to be able to look at all the stuff that I started with and um, see what God has to say to you for yourself. So if you've got a pen and paper, <clears throat> or you can listen back to this, um, you can write down these. And the first lot are all in Matthew. So it's chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 and verses 17 to 22. Chapter 6, verse 33. Chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. And then a nice big chunk, chapter 9, verse 1, all the way through until chapter 10, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 1, through to 10, verse 8. And then in Hosea, chapter 6, 1 to 6. Oh. <clears throat> right, let's start with Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And if you want to look this up, you can, or you can just listen to me reading. And this is sometimes called the Beatitudes. <clears throat> Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain outside and sat down. Paul, picture. 
There we go, that's a mountainside. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, thank you, Mel. That's lovely. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ooh. Do you know, I'd really like the beginning of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we recognize how much we need God, then we're going to, going to be able to have the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. If we're mourning, the Holy Spirit comes and comforts us because he's our comforter, isn't he? If we're meek, if we're humble, we will inherit the earth when what we want above all is righteousness. We have this promise that we'll be filled, we will see righteousness. When we're merciful to others, you know, it talks in Scripture about with the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. When we are merciful towards others, we will experience mercy from God and from other people. I believe it's the spiritual principle. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to see God if we can get rid of all the rubbish that gets in the way and have that pure channel to God. If we can realize that that is what God has created us for, we will see God. We will understand him. But we can't expect any better than what happened to Jesus and the prophets before him. When we go all out for righteousness, we will get up people's noses. Not because we bash them overhead with the Bible or we're obnoxious or we're all holier than thou, but just because we love God and we love his righteousness and that will make some people feel very uncomfortable and so much so, some of us will be persecuted. But at the same time, we've got to say, yep, it means I'm on the right track, God. And more than anything else, I want your kingdom. I want your righteousness. Jesus said to us, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Our focus is not the material things that we need, but our focus is his kingdom and his righteousness and knowing all about him so that we can become more like him, isn't it? That's what we all really want. Yeah, we may get persecuted, but it's worth it. That's what he's saying. Jesus went around full of grace and truth. He went around doing good. Can I have the next picture? Ooh. We talked about John the Baptist and his preconceived ideas about what sort of Messiah Jesus was going to be. The popular idea at the time was that 
the Messiah was going to be a warrior king who was going to come in and he was going to defeat the Romans and the temple would all be lovely again and Israel would be top dog and there'd be loads of riches riches, and um, it would all be fantastic and um, Israel would have its former place. But that's all temporal. It's all material. And God had a much, much bigger plan. It's different, bigger. God's ways are not our ways. His wisdom looks like foolishness to us sometimes. This is eternal spiritual freedom. Our riches are not steak and chips and loads of money, but the riches of the endless love of God. This is good news. Jesus is our pattern. We want to be like him. So let's look at some scriptures that tell us what he went around doing. Can I have the next picture? I love that picture of the hand. And it indicates that it's Jesus' hand because he looks like he's got one of those robes on that you see him wearing in all the pictures. And Jesus really is reaching out his hand to us. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to put our trust in him, to put our hand in his, and to follow him. Let's see what he did. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew 9, 18 to 34. This is the J.B. Phillips version because it's a, a bit easier to read and hear. While he was saying these things to them, an official came up to him and bowing low before him said, my daughter has just this moment died. Please come and lay your hand on her and she will come back to life. At this, Jesus got to his feet and followed him, accompanied by his disciples. And on the way, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years approached him from behind and touched the edge of his cloak. If I can only touch his cloak, she kept saying to herself, I shall be right. But Jesus turned right round and saw her. Cheer up, my daughter, he said. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was completely cured from that moment. Then, when Jesus came to the official's house and noticed the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, you must all go outside. The little girl is not dead, she is fast asleep. This was met with scornful laughter. But when Jesus had forced the crowd to leave, he came right into the room, took hold of her hand, and the girl got up. And this became the talk of the whole district. As Jesus passed on his way, two blind men followed him with the cry, Have pity on us, son of David! And when he had gone inside the house, these two came up to him. Do you believe I can do it? He said to them. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes, saying, You have believed, and you will not be disappointed. Then their sight returned, but Jesus sternly warned them, Don't let anyone know about this. Yet they went outside and spread the story through the whole district. Later, when Jesus and his party were coming out, they brought to him a dumb man who was possessed by a devil. As soon as the devil had been ejected, the dumb man began to talk. The crowds were simply amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees' comment was, he throws out these devils because he is in league with the devil himself. 
The little girl that died, according to, to the other Gospels, was 12. The, the woman who had the hemorrhage had suffered for 12 years. This is written to a Hebrew audience. 12 is a number of government. There's an issue of government here. Jesus takes control and banishes the sickness. And as he goes along, he's healing a little girl, bringing her back to life. Healing a woman who had been in disgrace, unclean, untouchable for 12 years. Because if you had that sort of problem, you couldn't have anybody touch you because they would then become unclean. She was a social outcast. But he was happy to acknowledge that she had touched him. Did that make him unclean? Religiously, yes. But no, he took control and made her whole and clean. He gave sight to the blind. He restored the power of speech to a man. What's not to like? How come the Pharisees said he throws out these devils because he is in league with the devil himself? They were, they were railing against this change of government, this control that Jesus was taking. Now, to be fair, Jesus had some, said some pretty hard things to the Pharisees. In Matthew 5.20, he said, For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that hurt. <clears throat> Matthew 9, 10 to 13. Later, as Jesus was in the house sitting at the dinner table, a good many tax collectors and other disreputable people came onto the scene and joined him and his disciples. The Pharisees noticed this and said to his disciples, why does your master have his meals with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus heard this and replied, It's not the fit and flourishing who need the doctor, but those who are ill. Suppose you go away and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In any case, I did not come to invite the righteous, but the sinners. Quite apart from the fact that Jesus is saying to us as well, you know, if you think you've got it all together, you obviously don't need me. The people I welcome are those who realize that they have a need. He then said this to the Pharisees and Sadducees, who knew exactly what he meant. And the people who read this gospel knew exactly what he meant. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So let's go back to the Hosea reference, which is in Hosea 6, 1 to 6. <clears throat> Come, let us return to the Lord. This is Israel talking amongst themselves. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As shortly as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. But God's reply is this. 
What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Let's put this into context. Hosea, alive at the same time as Isaiah, Isaiah who wrote that enormous book in the Bible. Hosea writes just a tiny little book, and he's known as a minor prophet, not because of him being less important, but because he wrote less. And Hosea, it wasn't just what he said, but it was his whole life that was a message to the people of Israel. Because God said to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman. We don't know whether she was just, it was her lifestyle or whether she was a prostitute. But he goes and marries Gomer and has children by her. And the children are given names which mean something to Israel his little girl he called not loved and Hosea stands with his unfaithful wife and his children who have these names as a hugely powerful symbol before Israel and Judah and Gomer leaves him and then God says Go go and take her back. And he has to pay to get her back. Goodness knows what she'd got into. A slave. Who knows? But he, he paid a slave price to get her back. And his whole life was this message from God to the people of Israel saying, You, my people, I love you. I brought you as a bride to myself. I looked after you. There's there's an image in there where he says, don't you realize when you were little, I taught you to walk. I lifted you up by the arms and led you so that you could learn to walk. I've clothed you with beautiful clothes. I've given you new wine and oil. I've looked after you. I've cherished you. And yet you've been unfaithful to me. You've worshipped foreign gods. You've made sacrifices to idols in high places that were set up by the unfaithful kings of Israel. You've been unfaithful to me. And the result of this is, because you won't stay with me, because you won't be faithful to me, I'm going to send my prophets to tell you that you've been unfaithful and to tell you what's going to happen as a result. And you may come with your shallow, oh, well, no, come on, I'm, I'm, you know, if we just do things right for a bit, it'll be all right. But that's just not how it works. This superficial returning to the Lord and obeying the laws for a little bit, regulating a little bit of your behavior, it's not going to cut it. What I want is your heart. I want mercy. And you're searching after me so that you really know me. It's no good sacrificing bulls on the altar. It just, it's not going to do it. This is a heart change I want from you, my people. I love you. 
So overlay that onto what Jesus just said to the Pharisees. He's saying to them, all your righteousness, your following of the law. He talks about them changing the law and and obeying the tithing, the, 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 the herbs that they had in their garden, but neglecting the more important things of mercy and justice and a real heart attitude of love towards God. It's no wonder he got up the Pharisees' noses. It's no wonder he cheesed them off. He declared a change of government. I want to go back before this bit where he says, you know, you've got to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And just read a bit more of that. And I'm going to do Matthew 5, 17 to 19. And verses 21 to 22. And he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What I want to bring out of that are two things. The law cannot disappear until Jesus has fulfilled it, until everything is accomplished. On the cross, he said, it is finished. I believe that on the cross, he fulfilled the law. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he's calling us not to an external, superficial following of the law, but to a heart change that... It's not enough just to say, well, I didn't murder him. If there's still that murderous hate in our hearts. Jesus is asking for a whole lot more from us. It was hard enough keeping the law. How on earth are we going to make ourselves good enough to not only keep the law, but to have this heart change, to be able to love people when they've done us wrong. Jesus made the way on the cross, and that's good news. I'll say that again. (laughs) Jesus died on the cross. He fulfilled the law. He made a way. 
We started this morning with Ephesians 2.8. For by grace we have been saved. It's the gift of God. It's not something we did. It's something God gave us. So we can't do anything to make it better. We have it. We just have to realize it. It's when we acknowledge what Jesus did that we avail ourselves of what he did, that we are washed clean. Oh! I'm getting ahead of myself and all over the place. Could I have the next picture? Yeah. Oh, you can see it quite clearly up there. It's a picture of two heart shapes, and on one of them it says, Love God. And on the other one, it says, love others. Does that remind anybody of anything? I'm throwing that out. It isn't a rhetorical question. It reminds you of the law. Why does it remind you of the law? The first law and the second law. Yeah. This way, Jesus dying on the cross, seems like foolishness. Uh, our way is to have the warrior king who comes in and defeats the enemies and and he's a superhero and um, he wears his pants outside his tights and does amazing stuff. That's our way. But no, here's the wisdom of God that Jesus dies on the cross. He fulfills the law and takes away our hearts of stone, the stone tablets that had the law written on them, And instead, gives us hearts of flesh that love him, that the law is written on our hearts instead, and the commands become a promise to us. That's good news. We're clean because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. With his death, he was like the sacrifices on the altar. He was the sacrificial lamb. He paid the price for us. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. This is good news. And once we understand that, once that becomes part of our lives, what he wants us to do is tell people how great God is and what he's done for us. Spreading this good news of the kingdom this change of government. God's rule is here. And he wants us to tell everyone because he doesn't want anybody to miss out on this. What we have is something so amazing, so fantastic. How can we keep it to ourselves? Matthew 9.35 to 10.8. Jesus now traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of illness and disability. As he looked at the vast crowds, he was deeply moved with pity for them, for they were as bewildered and miserable as a flock of sheep with no shepherd. The harvest is great enough, he remarked to his disciples, but the reapers are few. So you must pray to the Lord of the harvest to send men out to reap it. 
Paul, can I have a picture of some harvest? There's the harvest. And Jesus has just told his disciples to pray that God would send out more people so that we could go and reap it. Well, they must have prayed. Because let's ignore the chapter breaks in the Bible. They weren't put there for any spiritual reason. They're just convenient so we can look verses up. There should be no chapter break here, but there is. But let's ignore it. Here comes the answer. They prayed. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to expel evil spirits and heal all kinds of disease and infirmity. The names of the 12 apostles were first Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, sons of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the patriot, and Judas Iscariot, who later turned traitor. There were 12 of them. The government of God coming to the world. These were the 12 whom Jesus sent out with the instructions, don't turn off into any of the heathen roads and don't go into any Samaritan town. Concentrate on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the lepers, drive out devils, give. Give as you have received without any charge whatever. What we really, really want is to be like Jesus. We want to be those who go around full of grace and truth. We want to go around doing good. We do, don't we? That's what we want. And the temptation is to come up with a checklist of things we should be doing, a sort of spiritual I spy. Do you remember the I spy books where you go along in the car and you go, yes, I've seen a tree, yes, I've seen a church, yes, I've seen a pub called the King's Head. Maybe we, our, our I spy list would be something like this, um, pray for someone, give a word of knowledge, oh, yes, see them healed, oh, yes, raise the dead, oh, oh dear. While we may end up doing all of these things, these things are actually byproducts. They're signs that the kingdom has come. And the really important thing is that God's kingdom has arrived. The, the, the nearness and, and the possibility of God's rule in everybody's life that we come into contact with. just want to go back to that list of things because I'm really challenged by them. I'm really challenged by people who go around and, and pray for people and people get well and they see the dead raised and stuff like that. And um, I, 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 I do struggle with this. I, get, I come to this point where I think, well, why don't you do it, God? What is it that, you know, I'm putting in the way? Why is it that I can't just pray and see people get healed left, right, and center like you did? Because Jesus promised that we would do these things, didn't he? I've come to the conclusion that it's just that I don't realize I can do it. I haven't really, really realized deep down inside somewhere that <clears throat> the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in me. 
because that can be the only thing that's getting in the way because Jesus promised we could do it and if I'm saved by grace, it's not something that I've done. I can't make myself better by my own efforts. It's not that I need to strive more, read the Bible more. I mean, yes, I want to do that. But the thing that's getting in the way is that I just don't really understand and really appreciate. I don't really, at the core of my being, there's something that doesn't quite believe that this is what God has for me, that this is what Jesus wants me to do. Just throwing that out there. I'm not giving you an easy answer. (laughs) There isn't one. If there was an easy answer, we would have found it a long time ago, wouldn't we? When Jesus turned up, it was good news. So I want us all to believe that when we turn up, it's good news. Do, do we know that all, all, all about it? It says when, when we turn up, God is in us, he's with us. So when we walk into a place, Jesus is there. Jesus has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. The word is in us. It's on our lips. When we walk into a place, we can be peacemakers. We can bring words of peace. We can just bring our presence, which is the presence of Jesus. It's good news. That's really all this was leading to. Father God, I pray that you'll help us realize that we are good news. Father, in in all that we, we want to do to please you, Lord God, help us to do it out of a heart of love, trying to get, know, to get to know more about you, understanding more about you. Lord God, it's not that we earn brownie points by reading your word or by praying. It just comes out of a heart of really wanting to please you because we love you, because we know that you love us. And we know that you love all the people around us and we want to bring this wonderful message to all those who don't know you. Lord God, we want all those who don't know you to experience what we have, that they know your love your friendship, your grace, your mercy, your freedom in their lives. Father, please help us where you're putting your finger on something and you want us to to grow in a certain area. Lord God, in your love and your mercy and grace, will you come alongside us and help us? Will you give us your words through what is what we read in the Bible through others that we talk with about your word, but through any channel you want to. <clears throat> Whether you speak to us through a film that we see or a song that we hear, Lord God, our heart is to get to know you better, to become more like you. 
Father God, you are amazing. You are so full of love and mercy. And we praise you and thank you and worship you this morning. Father God. I don't know whether there's anybody here this morning who feels that sort of tug on the inside and, and you know that there's something here that you want to explore. But some of what I've said doesn't make sense because you don't have that relationship with God. Maybe you think he's just some sort of power vaguely up in the sky. Or maybe you have a, a different experience of him. Everything I've said about how God loves us you're included in that. Jesus loves you so much. And I'd really, really like you to get to know him. You can talk to anybody about that if you want to. For those of us, <clears throat> if you found God's prompted you on the inside that there's something he wants you to do or say, something he wants you to look at. I pray that you won't let that go. I pray that when you leave here, when you get home, grab hold of that for all your worth. Because God has great plans for us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us. He has great plans. Don't let it go. Grab hold of it. Go for whatever God has for you. Because he has such good things for us. Such wonderful things for us. He's amazing. Thank you, Father. Amen. Yeah, first of all, can we just show our appreciation to Sarah for the word, for the work that she put in there?